0: I've always felt that the essence of biblical Christianity is about the saved doing life together, growing and serving the Lord in community together. First, the Holy Spirit comes along and convicts us of our sin and unrighteousness, of our lostness, and of our need for Him. He saves those who believe on Him and turn to follow Him. And then third, He supernaturally unites us together in fellowship, one with another, because of the presence of His Holy Spirit. Nothing else unites us together like that in the way that we read about in Scripture other than His Holy Spirit. Look with me at 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we've heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the church is. The saved doing life together in supernatural fellowship with God. Supernatural fellowship and community together, brought on by our common confession and having in common the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So today, you know, we've been in this, uh, this series I'm just calling Rethink. Today we're going to rethink confession, okay? Rethink confession, this idea, this, this teaching in Scripture about confession. So here in a moment we're going to go to the book of Acts, but I want to bring out some things in this text because I've, I felt the need to preface that here in 1 John before we go on to the book of Acts. What does it mean to confess? Well, to confess comes really from three words. The first means out of. The second part of the word is homologio, where we get our word Lego from. Homologio, Lego means to speak. Jesus is the logos of God. He is the total speech and communication of God to us, as in the Man Christ Jesus. He is God. So um, we get that word Lego from homologio to speak. So we have out of to speak, and then Hamas, which means not Hamas. Not the terrorists, okay? Homos really is how we should say it, which means the same. So we're talking about something coming out and speaking the same thing. To speak the same thing that another speaks. To agree with someone. To acknowledge, admit openly, and agree fully. So confession is expressing openly to God our agreement with Him about sin and that we're sinners. That's what confession is. We're agreeing with God openly. God, I agree with you about the sin in my life. I agree with you that I'm a sinner in need of your forgiveness. So here's the first thing we learn is when it comes to confession, first of all, we've got to confess our sins to God. It's important that we get to that place. That is actually the starting place of faith in Jesus Christ. We must confess our sins to God, believe on Him, that He's the Savior who can save us, the only one who can forgive us. You know, not everyone in the church, talking about the little church, this is the little church, C, little C, not everyone in the little church is in God's big church, capital C. Because the church is a supernatural establishment. It's spiritual. And not everyone has agreed openly with God that they're a sinner. And the only way to be in the big church of God is to agree with God on sin. To agree with God that He requires us to humble ourselves before God and openly confess to Him that we are lost and need to be saved. Until we do that, you can never feel that you're part of the church. You'll have a physical connection to this local body, You'll have a social connection to the local church body, but you'll not have the spiritual connection to the church body, and therefore you'll always feel as if there's something missing in your connection to the local church and certainly to God's church. Now a lot of people will tell you, well, I've done all that. I've I've done that. I believe in Jesus. But at the same time, their life indicates a pattern of lostness. Their life indicates a pattern of walking in darkness and not walking in the light as he is in the light. Verse 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with Christ and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But those who walk in the light, just as Jesus is in the light, as others are in that light, we confess our sins openly to God and we're saved and we have that supernatural fellowship that he's talking about in this passage in First John. It is something the church cannot do for you. They can only lead you to the one who can do that. But you can't have both. You can't walk in darkness and also have true fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ or have true fellowship in the church with other believers who are walking in the light. You can't have both. We have to confess our sins openly to God and be saved. That's just a great place for an amen there to get us going. You know, I'm not going to preach as fast as that song went, Brother Tim. I felt like I needed to get up and run around the sanctuary a little bit with that. I'm a little slower than that. Acts chapter 19. Let's go there now, if you would. Turn in your Bibles or follow along on the screen. Because in Acts chapter 19, we find miracles being done through the Apostle Paul as he went about preaching the gospel. And I want to tell you, it wasn't all peaches and cream. You know, we read the things of Scripture, sometimes I think it goes right over our head, what must have been involved in some of this. It wasn't all uh, fun, I'm sure, for the Apostle Paul. And the reason it's not fun is because sin is dirty. People's lives are a mess apart from God. And they are in rebellion against God, and the Bible says that rebellion is evil. And I think sometimes we fall short of preaching that sin against God is evil. We, just, we want to call it a struggle. It's a struggle. No, it's evil to com- continue to walk in rebellion against God about your sin. First Samuel fifteen twenty three says uh, what God told Saul. Okay, through Samuel, He said rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. How does God view our rebellion when we continue to walk in sin? God views our rebellion the same as He looks at a, a person who is practicing witchcraft. And you say, Well, I'm not a witch doctor, I'm not a witch, I'm not any I'm not a warlock or anything. In God's eyes, it's the same thing. You're in the same boat, you're headed the same direction. Those who walk in sin and rebellion, they open their lives up to demonic influence or even demonic. Oppression. Now, I'm not going to go back to the rethink your thinking when it comes to your thought life, okay? Not going to go back to all that, but we did cover a lot of that in there. That through the mind, Satan can bring oppression, and through the mind, to continue to think on things of the flesh, we open ourselves up to demonic influence. But in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, I want to start there. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. You follow along with me. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them. And the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord over those who had evil spirits, saying... We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? (laughs) You ever thought about that passage? I know Jesus, I know Paul. Who are you to come and tell me I've got to leave this person. So there were those who served under the Jewish high priest, or perhaps some other priestly wannabes, maybe they wanted to have this gift of exorcism, not really a gift, actually, but who saw that Paul was able to exercise, not exercise, not working out, doing his CrossFit stuff, exorcise, all right, to cast out, through a process to cast out, demons. They saw that he was doing this and that he was doing it through the power of Jesus' name. And evidently some of these uh, priestly kind, these growing up being trained in the priesthood, they had probably been unsuccessful at this, I would imagine, given that now all of a sudden they see Paul what he's doing with the name of Jesus. Now they begin to come forth and begin to speak that to people who were demon-possessed trying to cast the demon out of them. And so they, I guess, thought, well, if it works for him, it'll work for us too. But the evil spirit spoke and said, I know Jesus. Now, how would he know Jesus? Well, we know this. We need to learn this. If you don't don't know this already, you've got to stand in agreement with God on this, that God cast Satan and his angels out of heaven because Satan wanted to be worshipped as God. Satan was prideful. He wanted the place of worship that only God can have. He cast them out. Angels are demons. They are spirits that go around doing Satan's bidding. They are doing his work to pull you away from God and more than that, to destroy your life. They want to destroy the inner man. They want to hold you captive in sin. If they can do it, that's what they're working to do. That's what demons do. They are under Satan's charge. And you can sit here and you can say, well, they don't exist today. I want you to tell me, when did they leave? Because I read in the Scripture that they don't leave and, and Satan and all his don't get cast into the eternal lake of fire till sometime later. They're at work in the world. The Bible says they're at work in those who are disobedient. Ephesians chapter 2. They are at work. They're in the world today. So uh, I'm not. if we're going to argue this, okay, and no one's been arguing with me, but if we're going to argue that then we're going to have to do it from the Word of God. The Word of God says they're in operation. He said, Jesus, I know, I know Jesus. Well, Satan knows all authority under heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. How does he know that? Well, Satan himself tempted Jesus in the wilderness 40 days and was unsuccessful trying to get him, get him to confess and relinquish his authority That God had given to him. He wanted that authority. So he comes to Jesus with lies. And what did Jesus say? Man doesn't live by bread alone. He offers him food. He offers him the kingdom. As far as you can see, it'll be yours if you'll do this. And Jesus said, hey, man doesn't live by bread alone. But by every word, every truth, every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's what he was living on. That's what he was taking in. He wasn't going to believe Satan. So Satan knows Jesus. Satan tempted Jesus. He tried everything to get him to give up his authority, those 40 days in the wilderness. But Jesus would not do it. So this demon says, I know Jesus. I can't do anything to him. I mean, we're not told that he said that, but that's what I'm thinking. I can't do anything to him. I've already tried. And I know Paul, whom the Spirit of God fell upon on the way to Damascus and who called him out and gave him the charge to work for him and Paul accepted that duty and Paul began to go and spread the gospel he began he went he went off for some time and the holy spirit of god revealed many things to him that we hold in this word so he knows Paul and i'm sure satan's thinking you know i, I know jesus i know paul i mean we've had the guy become shipwrecked. We've had the guy beaten. We've done everything we do, working through man to get this Paul to lay down and quit preaching the gospel. He won't do it. So I know Paul. I'm not worrying about Paul. I can't just waste all my time on the Apostle Paul, perhaps, okay? But who are you? I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you? What are you doing for Jesus? You don't know Jesus. If you knew Jesus, I'd know it. I didn't get the memo on that one. Can you hear this demonic spirit? A memo goes out when somebody turns to the Lord. We go after them. I haven't got that memo on you. You are nothing. You're a nobody when it comes to Jesus, but you're speaking His name. Now, this is just this little simple East Texas boy. Really, I'm a West Texan in East Texas. It's just the way I think. I'm just kind of simple about that. You're nothing because you don't have this Jesus whose name you're throwing around. So this demon knew that they were no threat to him because they didn't have the Holy Spirit residing in them. So in verse 16, look closely. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came, confessing and telling their deeds. I'm going to tell you something. I've been in a fight before, okay? I've been in a fight when I was younger, when I was an early teen. If you want to call it a fight, I got the daylights knocked out of me, and that's all it took, you know. But I, so I've been in a fight. I'm not bragging. I'm a lover, not a fighter, all right? All right, I've been in a fight. If you get in a fight so bad, you get the clothes knocked off of you and you have to run out of the house naked down the street, buddy, you got whooped, you got licked, you took a licking and you're no longer ticking. That's just the way I look at it, all right? And that's what happens to people in their spiritual sense who try to claim the name of Jesus knowing that they're in rebellion against Him and they're not walking with Him and they've not given Him their life. And the Jews were in that category. They were rejecting who Jesus was. He had come, he had died, he had been crucified, buried, and raised to to life, ascended into heaven, and here are those who are still rejecting Jesus. But if it's working for Paul, we'll use his name. (laughs) Look, we've got to confess our sins to God because it's only by his presence in us that we can have fellowship with him and fellowship one with another. Our spirit, the Bible says, bears witness with one another. Number two, true conversion leads to uninhibited confession. True conversion will make us want to confess our sin. In verse 18, we read how those who were saved came forward, they started confessing their sin. Look at verse 19 as well. Many of those who had practiced magic brought their books, They they're t- together they had their their things that they said, their seances, everything that they did, they burned them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the value, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, I looked this up a little bit, and if online stuff is accurate on this, what I was able to gather is that's about $6 million in today's money. Because it says about the dropments that they were, and they figured up, okay, what's a daily wage? They knew how much that was, and now they're talking about what's a daily wage today? Well, today, that would equal about $6 million in total if 50,000 of that was gathered then. That's what it would be today, a lot of money. And it says so that the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And I, I read that, and I began to think, Lord, why don't we see strong moves of your presence today in our church? Why don't we see this in all the churches of of the Lord Jesus? Why don't we see We hear about it in other places. But I want to tell you there was a time where you heard about it in America too. If you look back at the Great Awakenings and the things that took place over in Europe and then things that took place here, there were times and seasons where people were so convicted by the preaching and, and people were so convicted that they began to have noonday prayer services. Shops would close down. People would come out and go to these prayer meetings just out there in the streets or in certain locations and they would get on their face before God and they would confess their sin before God. It is even told that in one place that... So many people had been saved because of the great revival sweeping the land. The police stations had to lay off so many people because there weren't enough bad people around to go have to arrest and stuff. And you read about how all this took place and how it's written down for us in in church history. You Lord, why don't we see that today? We can't hire enough police officers today. People are slipping through the cracks. People are being plundered. People are being over overworked because of the hands of evil people. Well, you couldn't hire enough policemen today. Why don't we see moves of God that would take care of things like this and turn unrepentant hearts home to the, to the Lord Jesus? Well, I think partly because we don't preach faith and repentance. We don't preach strongly that, yes, there is faith, but accompanying faith is Accompanying faith must be repentance before God. And we've tried to make the gospel more palatable. We try to make it more tasteful for people who don't like Jesus in hopes that they'll go ahead and come to Jesus anyway and we will preach a message of faith without preaching repentance. And look, sometimes, I I can't help but say it like some of these guys say it, we show up at 11 o'clock sharp and leave 12 o'clock dull. Nothing's any different. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. Times of refreshing like you experienced when you first got saved. I remember the night that I was saved. I remember where it was. I remember exactly how it happened. And I want to tell you, my life was refreshed. Almost couldn't go to sleep that night. Something was different. It wasn't that I'd never heard of Christ. It wasn't that I'd never heard the gospel. It wasn't that I wasn't taught. I was taught Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I've shared with that you were that. all I mean, if the youth department had a concession stand somewhere in town, we were there. I mean, we were there, whether it was a kid thing, a youth thing. It didn't matter. I mean, my parents drugged me to church whether I wanted to go or not. It wasn't that I'd never heard. That I never gave my heart to Christ and experienced the refreshing of His Holy Spirit until I was in my early 20s. The next day, things were different. Things that I was doing, sin that I was committing, that I wished was out of my life, like scales just started falling off. Like, you know, the Bible talks about scales falling off Paul's eyes and and all that. Just like scales began to fall off, and I was a new person. It was refreshing. And I think about a plant that is dead on top. Everything above ground is dead and wilted. I mean, it's dry and it's dead. And I think about the roots that go down in the ground. How sometimes you can go and pour water on that and the roots aren't totally gone. I mean, the the roots will soak up that water and you begin to see new life. It is refreshed and it comes to life. And I think about us. We are all living. Our roots are in the ground, but above the ground, without Christ, we are dead. We're just awaiting our final destiny and our final death until the gospel is presented, we receive the gospel, Jesus comes in, and we're refreshed. Amen? We're made alive in Him. The Jews were spiritually dead. The old system of sacrifice and and uh, following through with all the rituals had been completed in Christ, fulfilled in Him, but they had rejected Him still and were in rebellion against Him. And those who turned to Him, however, and confessed their sins, they were born again and refreshed. And that's what He tells them in the book of Acts. Peter says, repent and be converted that your sins would be blotted out. I want you to know true conversion leads to uninhibited confession. When, when He touches our heart and life and, and we turn our, put our faith in Him we just, we just want to confess our sin. We want to confess our sin after because the Holy Spirit does a continual work called sanctification in our heart and life every single day if we'll let Him. You pay attention and you'll see He is working in your life every single day. Not to beat you up but to make you holy. He wants you to confess your sin. He wants you to do that. You say, well, I'm already saved. Why do I have to keep confessing sin? Because things get in the way with us having fellowship with God because there's sin in our life. We quench the working of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. We allow sin to remain. So uh, true conversion will lead us to not hesitate to confess sin. Now I want you to see James chapter 5, verse 16. James 5, verse 16. We should get out of here by 2 o'clock, okay? Quit looking at your watch. James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession, I want you to know, when you think of this, and that they're told to confess their sin one to another, Even if they'd called the elders to the church and lay their hands on them, they may talk about physical healing. They said, Confess your sins. Sin in the life of a believer is a hindrance, even can be physical sickness related. So if they had to confess their sin, they were told to confess their sin. We read in the scripture how they came confessing their sin, how they came and started throwing down their evil books throwing down their life, what gave them their livelihood. Obviously, they were wealthy, or such a great number of them came, changed, and began to walk away from the old life and walk in the new life. They did that before everyone. If they did that then, why can't we do it now? So here's my third point to you, and that's this. Confession did not lead to exclusion. Confession did not lead to exclusion. Realize that the cost for practicing sorcery or witchcraft as a Jew was death. The cost for committing adultery was to be stoned to death. But Jesus radically changed all that. He called sin exactly what it was, and knowing their guilt, he said, go and sin no more. He didn't stone them to death. He saved them. He helped them to start moving forward in their new life. And I believe this brief video that we're going to show you is pretty raw, what we'd call raw today. I mean, it just kind of lays it out where people are sometime. So I want you to watch this. It's called "Confession and Community," talking about our community of faith in the local church. Around
1: the age of nine, this is when I started struggling with my sexual identity and just kind of questioning what good and right and healthy relationships with women and with out in other ways, partying on the weekends and going to church on Sunday, Um, just kind of completing that cycle week in and week out, and so whatever I could use to mask what was going on in my heart, I was going to do it, and so I started drinking heavily, I met another woman who was just as broken and just as a dark season as I was, and so pretty soon after that, I entered into a same-sex relationship, and We were together for about two years. I definitely felt distant from the Lord. Even during those two years, I was still going to church every week. But even then, it just felt very empty. It was just one regular week, one regular Sunday, that I was sitting in church at the very back, ready to make my exit. And the pastor said, the greatest problem is not our moral failure, but rather a failure to honor the Lord. In that moment, I walked in the back to receive prayer. I met a woman to pray with and said, I'm feeling distant from the Lord and just wanting to be close to Him again. How do I do that? And so this woman just placed her hand on my shoulder and said, I feel like there's something that the Lord wants you to share with me. At that moment, I just broke down. The Holy Spirit uh, drew me to confession. I shared everything. Uh, the relationship that I was in, just the guilt and the shame that i had been feeling for so many years really expecting her to be shocked or expecting her to not know what to do she said praise the lord and it just blew my mind that night i ended the relationship and that's when the lord first started teaching me about community about to let people into your life, let people into the junk, and expose it, and bring all of it into the light. And they began to show me what it looked like to live in healthy relationships. And it was just life-changing. I needed them to speak truth into my life, but I just, I couldn't do it for myself. And I was afraid to experience that, and now I just can't get enough of it.
0: where a lot of people are so let's not be the church that makes it unsafe for people to confess sin to come to us and and bear their heart and soul and say this is just where i'm at let's don't make the church where it's it's only safe for those who used to be addicted to pornography who used to walk in that sin who, who a long time ago went through a divorce and how God works through that, we let them talk, but let's, let's don't make it where we can't hear about those who say, look, this is just what I'm going through right now, and I don't know how to deal with it, and I need some help. People that are struggling with things right now. It seems that the church is an unsafe place for anyone going through it now, but it's okay for those who went through it a time ago, a season ago, years ago. It's okay for people to talk about how God brought them through a difficult thing a long time ago so long as they're not struggling with it right now. I like this quote by Pastor Perry Noble. I've I've listened to his podcast sometimes for pastors and church leaders. He said, churches want everybody's story to have a really nice bow on it. But if you're currently struggling with sin, in many church environments, you're not welcome. It's unsafe and you can get yourself pushed out for confessing it. Realize that when someone comes to you confessing sin, it means God is working in their life. You should not stifle that. No one's going to tell you about the sin in their life unless they're trying to work it out, unless they're trying to get past that and get beyond that. They're seeking forgiveness. They want deliverance from that. What we have to do is we have to get to this place in our minds. And we're so afraid, I think, sometimes to be this way as, as believers. And my, my wife can tell you I'm this way. I'm so afraid of, of saying, well, we're giving them permission to keep walking in sin. And, and so I try to work against that kind of thought because every preacher is supposed to stand up against the sin. But let me tell you, I think we go overboard with that sometimes. What we need to realize is that we got to come to valuing people coming to Jesus more than we value behavior modification. We can get people to change on the outside, but if we don't get them to the Master and have Him in their heart on the inside, we've accomplished only a temporary fix people, as they experience forgiveness and begin to grow in Jesus, we have to allow the Holy Spirit time to work just as He did in us. I'm telling you, when I came to Christ, everything didn't change overnight. I was new overnight, but all my behavior wasn't changed overnight. God began a sanctifying work And I want you to know, we are all a sanctifying work in progress even now. We're saved, but we're still coming clean. Jesus is making us clean. He's still setting us apart. We're not there yet. If we're there yet, take heed lest you fall. Amen? We need to value people coming to Jesus above behavior modification. That comes after they draw close to Jesus. It's like the family, this, thinking about this whole sermon, it's like the family was out fishing one day on a pier. The dad was busy watching. This is a true story. He was watching the rods and the bobbers with his sons while they were fishing. 12-year-old and a 3-year-old. They were playing down along the dock. The 12-year-old was supposed to be watching his little 3-year-old brother, but he got distracted. The 3-year-old, named Billy, thought... That would be a good time to see if he could reach the bottom and touch the water. He tried stretching his little arm down to the water, then stretched it a little bit too far and lost his balance, and he fell into the water. It was about five feet deep. The splash alerted the 12-year-old who screamed for help, and Dad came running from the end of the pier. He jumped into the water. He swam down but was unable to see anything and finally had to come back up for air. Sick with panic, he went right back down into the murky water and he began to feel around everywhere along the bottom. Just before coming back up for air again, he felt little Billy's arms locked in a death grip on one of the posts of the dock toward the bottom. He had to pry his fingers loose, and when he did, they both popped up to the surface, gasping for air. After about five minutes of just standing there holding him, he said, after the tears stopped and all the nerves had calmed down just a little bit, I asked my son, what on earth were you doing down there holding on to that post down by the bottom? Why were you just holding on like that? And he answered in a three-year-old boy's kind of way. He said, I was just holding on, waiting for you, Dad. I think that just so expresses where people are at sometimes. They're just holding on, waiting for someone to rescue them. They're waiting, they're drowning. The God of the universe left the glory and the splendor of heaven in place where there's no pain and no sickness, no sorrow, no accidents, no hurt, no drowning, no death. He plunged into this dark. Gloomy world on a rescue mission. A rescue mission for all of us who are drowning. A rescue mission for all those who are lost in the darkness and for those who are the saved but feel they're just barely holding on and they're ready to let go or they're going to have to let go. And He set us, the church, apart to go down and bring them to the top. Let's not put our foot on them and push them down further. Let's bring them to Jesus. How do we bring the saved to Jesus? Oh, we teach them to observe everything whatsoever the Lord has commanded. We teach them by example, by word, by deed, how to follow Christ. And we love them with the love of Christ. For an invitation time, let me just say this. If you confess your sins to God, He will forgive you. He will save you. He'll forgive you. After being saved, we can become entangled in sin again. We can become entangled in sin because of our disobedience. We know that's true. Each of us, I'm sure, has experienced that. We can fall to temptation. Why not confess to God that we've fallen for temptation and also pull a church member, maybe pull a church leader aside when you're going through something like whatever this young lady was going through. You're going through that. You're going through a sin. It's something you're struggling with and and you're confessing it, but you can't get past it. Why not pull somebody aside and do like they did in the early church that you might be healed from it? Talk to a Sunday school teacher. Talk to me. Talk to Crystal. Talk to somebody you know who's just... can lead you to a stronger faith in the Lord Jesus. We can't forgive you of your sins, but when you confess your sin to Him and you confess your sin one to another, something powerful begins to happen. There's a refreshing that comes, not in just your life alone, but in the body of Christ. Listen to what Proverbs 28, 13 says, and then we're going to close. Proverbs 28, 13 Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We can hide it all we want. We're never going to move forward. When we confess it, healing comes. Forgiveness comes. Progress begins. We obtain mercy. Confession enables people to come alongside you and help you establish boundaries in your life. So let's stand, and what we're going to do is have an invitation. And here's the invitation Come if you want to be saved, but don't know how. If you are saved and you have sin in your life, pray and confess that to God. If you need to go to someone else and just say, I need help with this, hey, go to someone else. You can wait till after church. I don't care. It doesn't have to be like right now. You can do it after church. Just go and go. Set up some time with them where you can begin to learn. Let them teach you. Let them lead you to repent to the Lord. Maybe you just need to bring someone to the altar with you if you feel like you need to do it. I'm just kind of one of those open book kind of guys. I just, you know, whatever it takes for someone to be free in the Lord, man, do it. Do it, all right? We need to rethink confession.